Preparing for hurricane season and insights from the team tasked with steering business aviation away from the storm. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the latest business aviation news and information. The 1st of June marked the beginning of the 2023 hurricane season, and while it's difficult to predict the number and severity of major named storms ahead, if recent years are any indication, we could be in for some interesting months. How can business aviation operators prepare for possible hurricane conditions, and who's helping them in that process? I'm pleased to welcome today a panel of experts to answer those questions. We'll begin with Daniel Brown, Warning Coordination Meteorologist and Senior Hurricane Specialist at the National Hurricane Center, which is part of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Daniel, given predictions of an El Nino climate pattern this hurricane season, how might that affect the number of possible storms for 2023? When we have El Nino conditions out in the Pacific Ocean, which is warmer than normal waters, we typically see a decrease in the uh, Atlantic hurricane activity, primarily because we get wind shear that kind of tears storms apart across the Caribbean. It's kind of the main development region across the Atlantic. So there's a possibility that that is going to set up for the season. However, there's some other competing conditions across the Atlantic, such as warm sea surface temperatures that favor storm formation. So the NOAA hurricane forecast that uh, recently came out is calling for a near average season, but there's a bit of uncertainty surrounding that. Uh, NOAA is calling for 12 to 17 named storms. But I want you to remember that last year, the 2022 season, was also a near normal hurricane season. But yeah, we had significant impacts in the United States from Nicole that struck Florida in November, as well as Ian that struck Florida in September. And Ian ended up being the third costliest hurricane in U.S. history, the costliest for Florida in its history. So again, it just means we have to always be prepared each and every hurricane season, regardless of the overall activity. My next guest is Kyle Struckman, meteorologist in charge of the National Weather Service National Aviation Meteorologist at the FAA Air Traffic Control System Command Center. We are throughout the entire hurricane season communicating with the FAA basically on a daily basis. Even when there's no storms uh, that are present, uh, we're still sending them at the very least an email every day with what the outlook is uh, from the National Hurricane Center. So that way they have heads up several days almost a week in advance over any potential systems that may develop. Once systems do develop and uh, get classified by the National Hurricane Center, if there's any threat to U.S. interests, then we start uh, more extensive briefings, including PowerPoints that have a lot more extensive information based on the National Hurricane Center forecast, as well as the the threats that they are outlining. And um, then as we get closer to the event, we'll start doing a lot of um, enhanced uh, briefings related to any airports that may be either directly impacted by the storm itself, as well as some that are kind of more on the outer fringes of the storm that have a, you know, a low chance of being impacted. And uh, then during the event, uh, we continue terminal briefings about any airports that are being affected by the storm, as well as uh, others that are kind of more in the fringe areas, uh, once again, that may not necessarily have direct impacts, but are still close to the storm. And um, then we also support the FAA through uh, in-route forecasting. Basically, um, it helps them in terms of being able to design flight routes that uh, are designed to go either around the hurricane or maybe they can kind of fly over the edges, like over the outer bands, if the tops of those storms are low enough. 
So we support that as well. These teams also work with NBAA Air Traffic Services, which assist business aviation operators from the floor of the FAA Command Center. Dean Snell is a manager on the ATS team. And Dean, how does NBAA Air Traffic Services get this hurricane-related information out to NBAA members? Usually, um, the command center will initiate uh, hurricane telcons typically around 24 to 36 hours prior to any effects to the U.S. mainland and or U.S. territories, as well as effects to airways and route structure within the national airspace system. And, and these telcons are held twice a day at 8.30 and 6 p.m. Eastern time. NBA Air Traffic Services will take that information and send out hurricane updates um, after these telcons via airspace, airports, alerts, airmail. Uh, and they will include all the pertinent operational details related to the hurricane and how it's affecting the airspace and airports. So in these updates, we typically include a textual description on the forecast at the very top, kind of a quick synopsis. Then we'll include the National Hurricane Center forecast, um, the most recent. Airport and equipment impacts will be included to include closures, ATC zero events, any other restrictions in place. Uh, we'll also put in uh, unscheduled system failures, uh, as it's common to lose uh, radar service, ILS systems, those type of uh, technical equipment. We'll also include protective shutdowns of that, uh, of any equipment prior to landfall. We'll put in route notes as far as which routes are affected. And then at the very bottom, we put links to uh, the useful National Hurricane Center and FAA web pages. In addition, NBAA uh, will stand up a hurricane webpage for that specific storm where our members can go for a one-stop shop, so to speak, for all known and uh, expected impacts and requirements related to the storm. Two other important parts of this process are the Joint Air Traffic Operations Command, or JTOC, which manages airspace constraints from severe weather events like hurricanes, and the JCAT, or Joint Crisis Action Team. Here to tell us how the JCAT fits into this system is Thomas Kopp, FAA Air Traffic Organization System Security Operations Team Manager for Crisis Response and Emergency Operations. The Joint Crisis Action Team is, is uh, part of AJR2. We are a surge component of the JTOC. So uh, during the hurricane season and even up leading to it, we're you know in concert with uh, the weather folks. We're monitoring the area. We're looking online, seeing what systems may develop out there and just keeping an, an overall general eye on the potential impact of the national airspace system. So as we identify a system that comes in, we will start kind of an enhanced reporting process. Um, we'll start putting out products that are a little more detailed, uh, kind of like the National Weather Service does, to our stakeholders inside the FAA uh, so they're aware of what's taking place. And depending on the forecast, the track, and everything else, uh, the impact the storm may have is we'll determine our activation. Usually, we kind of look at a cat three or higher is what we usually look at for a potential activation of the joint crisis action team. And once that team is actually activated, that's when we pull that event completely off the operations floor. And then we will take it into our emergency management center to just handle that specific event going forward. Now, keep in mind, you know, a cat three is our threshold usually, but a cat one or a two doing four miles an hour can do a lot more damage than a cat three running 15 miles an hour. So we, we have to take each storm in stride on where it's going to hit, where its impact's going to be, and how much damage it can potentially do to the NAS. More of our discussion in a moment after this word from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, your podcast is ready everywhere. 
You can download it from iTunes, ask your smart speaker to give you a listen, or hear it in any car with Apple's CarPlay. NBAA Flight Plan, available anytime, anywhere. We're back now with Daniel Brown, Dean Snell, Kyle Struckman, and Thomas Kopp, and our discussion about hurricane forecasting and readiness planning from the FAA Command Center. Thomas, once a storm passes, we typically see some kind of emergency response operations in play, either on the ground or in the air. When dealing with a situation like that, is it common to have prior permission required guidelines when flying to these areas to help manage search and rescue operations? Not necessarily PPR. Usually we'll, we'll start with an ACA, airspace coordination area, and then take it into a TFR, so a, a temporary flight restriction. Uh, the ACA will put out there just to kind of let everybody know, hey, look, there's going to be search and rescue aircraft flying around here. Keep your head on the swivel, you know, be safe and be sound. And then depending on the amount of search and rescue that's taking place, we will usually use the TFRs as a surgical tool so the search and rescue aircraft can get in where they need to go. The PPR process would take place depending on the airport that maybe an airport was damaged significantly. Um, Fort Myers would be a great indication of that during uh, the system last year where they were down and they were only taking recovery aircraft only. So they established a PPR system basically to make sure that they weren't getting flooded with aircraft inbound and everything else. They could handle what they call the minimum on ground requirement to get aircraft in and out, but not being have aircraft sitting on top of each other and also keep the flow going in. So the PPR system does play important, but it all depends on what airport we're using or if there was an airport that was significantly impacted during the, the storms uh, crossing of the landmass it was at. I see. So when does the JCAT typically stand down following a hurricane? There is kind of a defined process to it. So uh, we have readiness levels that we go through, uh, depending on what technical operation sees, and they go to delta and steady state. It all depends on when we're at, if we're in an um, assessment process of what's what's been damaged or if we're in the recovery mode, so restoration or recovery. Traditionally, the JCAT, once the system pulls through, it's cleared out, there's not a lot of impacts taking place, we will traditionally slowly roll up a JCAT back and transition those duties back onto the floor. But if we have folks that are forward deployed that are assisting those state EOC air operation branches and coordination of airspace issues, then there is potential we may stay active a bit longer just to make sure we're giving support to our team that's forward helping those states out. So it's really kind of a mix of when we would deactivate. It, there's some criteria that goes into it, but there's no true on-off switch that says, okay, we've met this threshold, we need to turn off. It, it all depends on what is taking place because each storm is unique and each storm's impact of the NASA is unique. There's obviously a lot of technology and human effort that goes into this process, but tracking hurricanes is still an imperfect science. Daniel, what resources do you recommend for flight operators to use when pre-planning for a possible hurricane and or tropical storm? So if you uh, go to the National Hurricane Center website, which is uh, hurricanes.gov, we issue products uh, every single day during the hurricane season. These are our tropical weather outlooks. They're going to look at uh, where systems could form, where they might head over the next uh, seven days for those outlooks. And then once a system actually forms, once we have a tropical depression or storm, uh, we start to issue forecasts on that. Uh, we'll put up uh, coordinate watches and warnings where the local National Weather Service offices. Uh, but there's a lot of products on our website that we'll talk about what the hazards are. What is that wind threat? Uh, if it's an airport near the ocean, storm surge risk going to be? Uh, and then also where that heavy rainfall might fall. So all those products are right on the front page of our website once a system forms. And again, they're updated every six hours throughout hurricane season. Kyle, what tools would you recommend? 
Another resource really for any situation with aviation is um, the Aviation Weather Center, and that's uh, aviationweather.gov. Their focus, uh, they'll issue uh, SIGMETs, for example, for potential severe turbulence, as well as convective SIGMETs for thunderstorms. Um, So when there is a hurricane or tropical storm, you'll also see those type of products from the Aviation Weather Center. So uh, those are very helpful for pilots as well. Also on the aviationweather.gov website, we have the TCF, it's the Traffic Flow Management Convective Forecast. That specifically forecasts where thunderstorms are going to be nationwide. And in the case of a tropical system, it will identify you know, the areas associated with the tropical system where we believe there's going to be significant thunderstorm activity. So that, that also helps to give uh, pilots an idea of what areas they really need to avoid if they're going to be anywhere around a tropical system. You both mentioned some great sources for weather information. And Dean, you noted earlier how NBAA gets the word out to members about active named storms. What other resources would you recommend for flight departments? As you stated, the two resources from NBAA being the uh, airmail alerts and the specific NBAA webpage. So we, we try to have all the information in those, especially on the webpage, and links on there to, to send folks to, to get additional information. Now, having said that, as far as airports go, NOTAMs are still the best source to use because they're the most up-to-date. And in these hurricane events, everything's very fluid and things are constantly changing. So so the NOTAMs are your best resource if you're looking um, at operating in or out of a specific airport. Another item to, to keep note of are, are the TFRs. As Thomas had mentioned, these are usually post-event and they're put in place to protect airspace. And our operators can access the TFRs typically through our NBA webpage because we're going to add those to the NBA webpage. So, so they're aware of the restrictions within specific airspace, specifically after a storm. And we're in the search and rescue and the repair phase, get everything back open uh, and normal. Another good source, uh, if you're planning an operation into an affected airport, is to contact the FBO directly to get the status on their operation. As even though the airport may be open, um, the FBO might have other issues such as staffing, getting folks to and from uh, the airport, and debris on the ramp that that might affect their operation. So, so that's the other thing to make sure you check on because just because an airport is open doesn't mean the FBO is operational and ready to accept those aircraft. What other advice do you have, Dean, for how operators can best manage their operational plans prior to a hurricane? I think it's important, you know, for them to be monitoring these these other resources that my colleagues have mentioned on the podcast to be aware of the forecast especially a a few days out when you have the time to make those decisions. Do you keep your aircraft at your airport if if it's in harm's way uh, with the prediction? So so those tools and just having the situational awareness of impending storms, you know, you can make the, the best decisions for your specific flight department as to what to do with your aircraft. Thomas, what advice would you share? I want to piggyback off what Dean was saying earlier about uh, the NOTAMs and, and the closures is we get some confusion from time to time because some people need to don't understand that we can have a runway open, but the airport can be closed. And so the checking of those NOTAMs is vitally important to make sure that they're getting the right information out there because those NOTAMs should tell you specifically what operations are allowed at the airport during a disaster recovery event. 
and taking place. So, you know, last year during the storm in Florida, we had a lot of those conversations with people and tried to explain to them that, hey, we runway could be closed, airport could be open or vice versa. It just depends on what's taking place and what the damage assessment on the airfield has gone through. That's interesting. I never really considered the possibility of an open runway at a closed airport. You could have that depending on the damage that was out there. The, the tower could be closed, the airport could be closed, but the runway may be open and being used in a unicom environment, basically an uncontrolled field where they're bringing those search and rescue aircraft in uh, to get there. And even more so if the runway is damaged to a point where they can only bring helos in. Going back to the NOTAMs, I know it, it can be confusing for, for some flight operators when an ATC zero uh, NOTAM is issued, which means usually it's uh, the tower and or an up-down tower TRACON that are running ATC zero, but the airport may still be open. What most folks don't think about, but is certainly pertinent, are the controllers need to be protected and and out of harm's way as these storms approach. So it's very common to see the the airport FAA facilities go to ATC zero as the storms get closer to, to the region. It necessarily doesn't mean the airport's closed, but but there is that difference between an airport closure and ATC zero. Another item is we at Air Traffic Services have the wealth of information right there on the ops floor. We take advantage of the fact that we're on the ops floor, that the National Weather Service representatives are there all of the uh, NTMOs and specialists and managers are on the floor. And then the JCAT as well. When, when the JCAT is initiated, they're always there in the emergency uh, management center. But we have access to them if we have specific questions regarding, say, TFRs and or uh, airport recovery. So it, it, it's a wealth of information at our fingertips and we're able to, to send that information to our members as the fluidity of the event changes. Great point, Dean. Daniel? It's always good to have a plan. I know with uh, aviation, I'm sure it's uh, much more complicated and more difficult. But again, if there's a hurricane threat, having that plan, know where you're, what you need to do is, is so vitally important. And, and one thing you should probably learn, too, is whether or not your resident, the, the airport, it, whether it's an evacuation zone and whether that might impact what those plans might be. If you own property along the coast, uh, you're going to want to know if you live in that hurricane evacuation zone, because that's where we worry most about storm surge. And that is uh, often the, the deadliest risk uh, in hurricanes. But again, it, it can also do a lot of property damage damage as well. So if that airport is close to the coast in a storm surge zone, it's going to be a good idea to have ways for you to evacuate your aircraft and get them out of harm's way as well. So again, uh, find it, find this information out before uh, the storm threatens and then uh, develop a plan that you can uh, take action and save not only your life, but your property as well. Indeed. Kyle, what advice would you like to share? Always be vigilant. Always be watching the National Hurricane Center, for example, for, uh, for outlooks and forecasts to try to uh, get a heads up as much as possible, what might be occurring several days down the road, and uh, to plan accordingly. Just to review some of the links mentioned in this podcast, visit the National Hurricane Center webpage at hurricanes.gov and the National Weather Service's Aviation Weather site at aviationweather.gov. You can also learn more about these and other weather resources available for business aviation operators at nbaa.org forward slash weather. And visit nbaa.org forward slash ATS to find out how NBAA Air Traffic Services works for business aviation every day from the floor of the FAA Command Center. 
And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Uh, 3500. Uh, we got him inside. We're slowing it back to 170.